This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. one and all to part two of the When Eagles Dare review. As per part one, I'm joined by Sam Heskip and Albert Curley. Thanks for joining again, lads. Pleasure as always, as I'm sure Albert will attest. Pleasure as always. Scorching hot day to the extent that we're rewarded here with Heskip wearing a sleeveless top, Albert. (laughs) Yeah. It It is a basketball top. Rather than like a tank top. Well, <laughs> looks quite yeah. tank tank toppy from where I'm sitting. My, my twiggler arms, like I'm showing them my twiggler arms for people who thankfully don't have this year. I have zero. Twiglets have a bit more colour than that. <laughs> Big up the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, does yeah. Kevin Garnett still play for them? Oh, KG. <laughs> That's about the extent of my basketball knowledge, to be honest. Um, Right, um, so part three, where did we leave off? Um, we've got Steve Parrish has been talking to the senior players um, and they're basically forcing Holloway into a change here to go back to um, the Dougie Friedman style of football as it as it was. And um, as as Parrish says to his eternal credit, he puts his hands up and says, you know what, yep, fine, I'll do it. Let's Let's get back to basics. Let's get back to what we do best. Um, and Albert, you're delighted with the start of the show about um, Ian Holloway giving a big old speech in in Spironis. That was episode three, wasn't it? Just just that speech. <laughs> no, it's episode um, four. That was the start of episode. Oh, four. episode four. Yeah, you know, mm. he, Steve Parrish says something like Ian has a parable for every week, and it's and you hear you hear the parable all week, and then it cuts to the speech. And I'll be honest, there was so <laughs> much in there. I'm not sure how I would distill it down. Um, but yeah, it's a big rousing speech pre Peterborough, and uh, you know, and the, the more eagle eyed amongst you will notice that a few people seem, seem to switch off in the room. <laughs> there's one, there's one guy who's not quite right in front of Holloway, but he's, I think, he's next to the kid that he keeps speaking to, and he's just staring into nothingness for a, mm. for a good portion of it. The waiting staff who are sort of behind the bar, they look like they're. You know, they've seen someone who needs a top up, but they can't really go and do it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird. He's sort of, it's, it's, 
it's more like a it's like a, an inner monologue. He's sort of it's like he's arguing with himself at times, um, mm. but it did the trick. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to remember at this point what we haven't won in ten games, so this is pre Peterborough, and no wonder fans are switching off. I think he'd lost half the fan base by this point anyway, maybe even more more than half the fan base, and he's cut. He's coming across a bit spiky in this as well, like he's being accused. Accusationary, accusatory. That's the word I'm looking for. All of them, all of the all of them. (laughs) Yeah, of the fans, like talking about, like I don't want you here. If you've got any negativity and all sorts of things, it's 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 kind of spiky. Even to the extent my wife watching the episode with me said, "Oh, I don't, I don't like him. I really don't like him." Um, Heskiff, how did it come across to you? Uh, I mean, you, I think you referred to it as him trying to talk himself into believing. Yeah, that's how it, it felt like. I mean, we'd put in some pretty insipid performances beforehand, and I know that they'd shown a few post-match interviews with Palace fans after like the Birmingham game saying how, how, how crap it is and the Brighton game. But I don't think the support wavered it, it, that much that he needed to go on this massive tirade about, you, Jess, make sure you support your football team because if you don't support your football team, you're, you shouldn't be it. It, it was just really weird. It was like, do you need to get yourself going for this game? You know, do you need to persuade yourself to to, to get up for this game, which is weird because mm. you shouldn't, especially when basically he was like, I'm the perfect guy for the playoffs. So if you've got that much confidence, it, it, it did seem weird to me that he, that the more he talked, the more wound up he seemed to get with himself and this like imaginary, you know, conversation he was having with the fans. Yeah, there's a bit where he starts going on about a hypothetical nine points that he might have got if he'd come in sooner. It's like, come on, mate. Oh, fucking Jesus. Like, the, 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 the mental acrobatics. He's put, well, I, I might have come in. I might have got, I got nine more points. But you can't say I didn't and I wouldn't have done that because you have to balance it out. I might. You can't sit there. That's not fair. It's like, mate, what are you going on about? That was a bit that got me. Everyone's just sitting looking at their food. Yeah. And he's like, come on, come on, if you're going to talk about the, the points Doug got, what yeah. about the points I got? And no one's saying anything about anything, Ian. There's people looking at each other going, is it rude to start eating? It- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My volatile's getting cold. It's getting cold here. Mm. The mango coolie, wasn't it? Was it me as well? Is it harsh to say as well that I didn't have much empathy towards his dad dying story. Is that is that bad? Jesus. I mean, not like, obviously it's a sad story for him, but like just the way he told it and the way he was trying to knit it into his story, it just didn't make sense. I mean, he could have just said, as fans, you want to know the players are giving their all. And as long as you know they've given their all, you'll support them sort of thing. I think that's probably what he was going for, but... Yeah, I mean, it was such a like aggressively put argument. It was odd. Yeah, it was very strange. It was, yeah, what was it? His dad said he should retire. <laughs> and it's like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Where's this going? We've got a, game. Mean, uh, We've got a game in a minute. Loads of people in the restaurant at that point started nodding along. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your dad was a Another pint over here, please. <laughs> um, but you got, I guess there was an underline, you got the sense that he knew how important this Peterborough game was, that just to get in the playoffs, that he felt if we he could get into the playoffs, that he would 
come into his own and as as we know through the rest of the documentary and just personal experience we know that he did come into his own as um as we're going to talk about but first up we we have the peter brigade that goes on now um haskiff <laughs> miss a few chances early on but then go one nil down and um in the stadium at the time it generally felt like it's gonna we're gonna miss out as a bolton here aren't we yeah i <clears throat> i remember the goal I mean, it's not a, not a bad goal, to be fair. It was nice of our defenders. I tried to tackle Lee Toblin, but it was a decent goal. And it was just that, like, uh, typical, just, you know, Palace on the verge of doing something and then managed to throw it away against a team who are basically fighting to stay up because they've been shit all season. Um, but, yeah, I remember, obviously, it's no surprise to anyone who knows me, but I thought 1-0 well, that that was it, especially with Bolton. You would think Bolton would leapfrog us or whatever. Yeah, and um, I think Jednak referred to the game as a microcosm of our season as a whole, with just like, you know, starting off badly, then then it started to look all right, then it went terrible again, and then we um, sort of turned it around. But um, we do get back into the game with the weirdest penalty ever, Albert. I mean, A, what Danny Gabadon doing up there anyway in that sense, but it's it's a weird challenge and a weird sort of swan dive over the leg, isn't it? Absolutely. But it's de- definitely a pen. Um, absolutely. <laughs> I like that. I like the shot of, um, they just show Holloway's face while the penalty is being taken. He just like sees eyes slightly widen. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he thought the ball was going over the bar. You know, pen- pen- Glenn Murray took a lot of penalties that season, but he wasn't always the best. Mr. Couple. Hmm. Yeah, so get back to one or a half time, come out in the second half. Surely we're just going to roll them over now and um, <laughs> take our playoff spot. But no, Medez Lang forces a mistake from Spironi, uh, just sort of let it, it goes under his hands. And then it takes Kevin Phillips coming on to score an incredible goal. Um, Albert, did you ever have that sort of nimble feet in your in your time? Quick, close control, turn, get a shot off. I don't know why you're talking about like it's in the past tense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see you on the screen, mate. That's <laughs> yeah, the gout kind of taken <laughs> taken the edge off that. Um, and I had, ingr- I, had ing- I had ingrown toenails as a teenager, and I had to go through quite horrific surgery, which definitely took a yard out of my game. And my toenails, funnily enough. Well, if, um, well, if you would have hit that shot that uh, KP hit there, you would have burst the ball then. <laughs> <laughs> and burst into tears. <laughs> excruciating pain. No, but so, yeah, it's a good, uh, is it is it Johnny Williams? He's like, I, I don't even see what happened. I just look around and the, and the ball's in the roof of the net. It is a, he does whack it one. Yeah, it's, it is an unbelievable finish. And then um, I think as it, if memory serves me correctly, Peterborough would have survived with a draw. So um it felt a bit extra on top of me that he hadn't like scoring, but he loved it in Heskiff, like pointing pointing away to his captain's armband. Yeah, and it was. I mean, obviously, we know how how good a player he was and how much of a leader. But even even goals like that sort of show what a season he'd had. Where it was okay, we might not have needed it to get in the playoffs, but it was. It sort of put the cherry on the top. He was a guy who can, you know. Gave us our upswing and results, like he said. You know, we we weren't just a team that was sort of limping into the into the playoffs. We were a team that was winning to get into the playoffs. So sad as it was for Peterborough, you know, and and the 
I think Brower and Parrish both said that I don't give a shit about Peterborough, so I didn't care that they'd gone down. To be honest with you, uh, <laughs> that we'd we got a win and we were sort of on a bit of an upturn uh, at just the right time. I'm sure one of them says it turns out that they we could have just drawn and they'd have stayed up and we wouldn't have minded that. Yeah, yeah Parrish was saying what a well you know well run club they are and stuff. Well, because there was a couple of references, weren't there? It was like, A, we only won four more games than them that season. And considering we beat Peterborough twice, it just shows the sort of margins in the division itself. Um, but to be honest, Adrian Durham's a Peterborough fan, so anything that pisses him off, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but then Dwight Gow. Worth mentioning him because we obviously go and sign him the following season. He gives away the free kick that Milo Jednak scores from. And um, if you actually, they don't, there's not a good enough angle in the documentary to see it, but if you actually see it back, it's it's not a foul. It's a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible decision from the referee. But um, yeah, so a two division swing there for the white gal enjoyed it. But then they're all, um, obviously, because it's the last game of the season, a regular season, they do a lap of one around the pitch and, um, just ominously on the scoreboard, sat in the league table. And uh, it's Dean Moxie looks back over his shoulder. He's like, oh, so it's, it's Brighton we've got. And um, I think uh, Steve Parrish refers talking to um, meeting Gus Poirier a few days um, or a couple of weeks earlier and saying, I hope it's not you guys in the playoffs because it'll be a circus. And it was, and the circus thus begun. Um, Albert at the time, I mean, did you think we could do it? I, 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 based on the one win in 11 games, I, I wasn't overly confident. No, I mean, Brighton were, A, they'd stuffed us, obviously. That was as part of our horrendous run. They'd stuffed us at the at their place. And they were the, you know, they were the form team going into the playoffs. So we didn't, I, I, I don't remember having a, uh, a huge wash of optimism crashing over me as we went into those playoffs and you know skipping forward a bit I think when when Glenn Murray crumples in a heap in the home leg it's like well well that's you know that's another nail in the coffin but yeah at the time I mean Holloway's he says you know just once once you're in there once you're in there anything can happen and and we're as good as anybody else in there I mean we weren't in that particular moment we we scraped past Peterborough um but yeah there's you know there's there's all the players sort of at the at the um, player of the year awards do you know and that's you see how everyone's getting their awards and it's like well yeah it's it's weird it's weird seeing that knowing that there's still these two massive potentially three obviously monumental games still to come um, feels weird like it feels weird seeing somebody get a player of the season award when yeah there's like major major. Uh, hero sort of status to be gained from the playoffs which a couple of people certainly did yeah um we'll, we'll talk about the player of the year awards in a second but it'd be a miss of me to not mention heskiff's favorite part of the documentary um the, the, the documentary makers themselves trying to interview damo on the side of the pitch after as the peter game finishes yeah it's that there are many like great moments in this documentary um and a lot of great memories but this bit it's just great. The, the the documentary guy is trying to trying to speak to Damo, and Damo's like, "Who are you?" And he said, "Oh, we're we're you know the filmmakers, and we've been following you around for the season." 
And Damo just goes, have you? It's the first time I've ever seen you in my life. <laughs> I just like, it's just a perfect moment from like the way he tells the story, Grierson shows him the footage of it as well. And he's sort of, he's got a big smile on his face. Um, thought that was really good. I tried to clip it. Cause if you go back, <laughs> go back and listen to it again. When well, I can't think what he says. Yeah. Have you I've never seen your life? He, it really sounds like he's been, he's been embodying the spirit of Scooby-Doo. He's, 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 he's eating something and he's obviously a bit emotional. He's just playing with him. He's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, a lot of people, non-Palace fans are reading this talk about how well Damien Delaney comes across, but um, apparently he could, he could be quite difficult like that um, anyway, particularly he didn't really want to speak to people when he, if you weren't in the team and he felt like you shouldn't be around the team, he'd be very, very defensive about it. But um, maybe, maybe he's chilled out a bit in retirement and now he's got, got away from the game a bit. But um, I, I certainly don't think that's out of character for him. Um so get, let's get back into the Player of the Year awards. As you say, very strange time when you're in the playoffs to have it in between. Milo Jednak's crowned Player of the Year, uh, deservedly so as well. Just an Whilst dressed like season. an estate agent. <laughs> um, not worse than um, Ian Holloway's wool waistcoat, though, that makes him look like a, a Bristonian Aladdin. And also, a new crest is revealed, Albert, and... There's nothing quite like watching this documentary to just compare the crest and just how ridiculous now the old one looked and how good the new one looks. And if you remember the time, it was all put it was put to votes like initially, and there were six options given, and then obviously none of those six options made it, and then there were no six, more fan votes. Yeah, six dog shit options. It's weird. Yeah, again, it's only it's only looking back at the documentary in my head the crest change had already happened. Mm. Like by the time we got to the the playoffs when we were up, like that was already done and dusted. It's, I, I forget that it sort of coincided, you know, the first shirt to have it was the Premier League shirt, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, it, it was, what's just strange about it though is that they they dug up, well, put together six dog shit options, as you so eloquently put it. Thank you. Um, put it to a vote. Then it goes off the radar and then at player of the year, they're like, right, we're unveiling our new crest. And then they get it so right Mm. just seems it's, it's, it's incredible to be honest i was absolutely sitting there just thinking this is going to be shit it's going to be shit and there was just like a collective gasp in in fairfield halls when it was put up on the screen so everyone was like ah, fucking it's actually it's actually nice <laughs> and um yeah and uh, parish talked it through talked about the three different sort of variations of it that exist for different sorts of um merchandise and yeah and i, I still eight eight nine years later at the time of recording this still a huge fan of it i love it i think it looks absolutely fantastic so good job there um then we're into the first leg um i, I guess it's you know bright brighton do sort of have a really good first half against us without creating any massive chances but it all just hit the, the whole first half is about glenn murray um twisting around on his knee um Husky, if disappointed or proud of the club for just letting it go, um, that there's no mention of the Brighton fans singing "Let Him Die." Yeah, it was the first thing I I thought of when they when they showed him sort of grimacing on the floor. And uh, yeah, probably I suppose quite big of the club because we mug them off for the whole episode anyway, so <laughs> it's all right in the end. Um, 
But I mean, that's all that we really remember from the first day. But watching back the highlights, you you sort of remember that they were quite on top of us for most of the game. I know we had the odd chance here and there, but they were holding us, as Damo Damo referred to it. (laughs) Um, But I I remember, I remember a couple of Jules' saves and Murray going off, and then that's it. And sort of thinking at the end of the game, shit, I don't know how we're going to do this now. You know, I, I remember before the game thinking like we got a we got a win here because going going there to try and get a result is going to be really really difficult. Um, and yeah, just seeing how on top of it on top of us they were in the first leg just makes the second leg all the much more sweet. Well, I did, um, Holloway. What Parrish refers to Holloway saying to him, just make sure you don't we don't lose the first leg, and then it's a one off cup final. It doesn't matter where it is. Um, but one, this is. Um, I've got three things that I'm sad, or four things I think specifically that didn't make this documentary that I feel like should have made it. Um, one is uh, when in an earlier episode when Balassi is referred to as a powerhouse, and they don't show him shoulder barging Bruno into the Homesdale. It should have <laughs> that should have absolutely been the clip that was shown that's, there. The same, that's like the definitive yellow barging. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so I was I was sad that was missed out, but. Um, also, what I'm sad is missed out here. They should have showed the interview after the game where they make Zaha give Bridcut the man of the match award. Oh, and, I forgot about that. And Bridcut like just points at the screen and winks, and Zaha's like walking off in a shot behind him. And you know, it's just so much emotion. I mean, the, the documentary doesn't make enough of that. This is Zaha's last season. That's his last game at Sellers Park in theory for Crystal Palace, right? And there's no there's no reference to it in the documentary. You see him in his little like vest top that he made saying thank you CPFC, but um, they don't sort of you know. I guess with hindsight, you don't have to because we all know what's happened. But um, I think if you're telling the story, they should have really sort of egged that this was this was the end for Zaha. You know, he just he was trying to take. I just want to take him to the prem with me. Is um, that <laughs> he always said but um yeah that 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 should have been left in because then when you get into the second leg you can just it's the brid cut trying to pull him down trying to rugby tackle him as we break away for the williams chance i just think there's some nice synergy there that should have should have happened but alas it was missed out um won't obviously glenn murray talks about squealing live on tv <laughs> Um, interesting as well is this how you can completely misremember incidents um, and he, he says you know mentions two Brighton players were the first people over to him to you know um, talk to him but to check, the, was, to check he was still really hurt <laughs> but in the footage you can clearly see that three Palace players go over to him long before any of the Brighton players come over it's, it's funny what you can remember I guess but um when this happens, and then over the um, next coming days, you talked about it earlier, Albert, saying that you know he was at Murray. We knew he was out for the season at that point, and you thought it might be over there. But I, I, I distinctly remember thinking at the time he hadn't he hadn't scored other than a penalty against Peterborough for ages. He hadn't looked like scoring, and I think he just sort of blown a gasket and was out out of steam anyway. And kind of actually, we was discussing it like in the pub after saying that it could be a good thing for Wilbraham to come in and just sort of freshen it up a bit. Um, not many people would have agreed with me at the time, I'm sure. But um, me being one of them, yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> part, party lays on Wilbraham does have his part to play, sort of, um, as we're getting to. But then it's at the end of the game is 
perhaps where this whole journey of Brighton being too big for their boots really picks up steam and the TVs are on in the changing room, Albert, and they get Poyet's speech of where he says that maybe we're 55, 45, or maybe even 60, 40 favourites for the second leg. Yeah. Um, as as Milo Yednak said, didn't sit well with us, and uh, I don't know about that. No, it's... I mean, even even before even before the game, there's that. I think it's the clip from the dressing room where Holloway's like, "They fucking think they're it, and we're gonna and we're gonna show them." So there's, you know, they they clearly had an air of sort of arrogance about them pre that game. That yeah, that that little Poye uh, press conference and yeah, the way Yedinak tells it that that only really highlights that that point that yeah the. They clearly thought that based on the form book and probably seeing Murray, you know, crumpled that that was it. It was all tied up. And um, yeah, like Jedi sort of steely. Yeah, that's uh, that doesn't go down well with me. You're like, well, again, we know what happens. But yeah, you you could imagine that like in the dressing room, there's some real characters in there that that wouldn't have taken kindly to a comment like that. And yeah. Luckily, it turned out the way it did. Hmm. Right, so then we get into the we get into the second leg, which is just the best night of my Palace supporting life. There's there's no other ways to put it. Um, I've watched this episode three times now, and I've cried <laughs> every single time. Um, you were there, Haskiff. I was. And Albert, you watching on TV? No, I was there. Oh, you were there. I was there, thank you. If my chair didn't have arms, I would have fallen off of it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, excellent stuff. Okay, well, I was going to see uh, what I was going to ask is if you, um, if there was any sort of sense that you knew that Poogate was happening through watching on the TV, because obviously in the stadium, none of us knew um, what was going on. Um, but for this documentary, for like for that camera to be there, and you know Holloway even requesting that the camera comes with him. Um, it's, it's quite it's, it's quite the moment, isn't it, Albert? It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's uh, it's I think it's Kevin Day in his interview. He's like, oh, if only if only there was a camera crew there to document this whole thing. <laughs> and uh, just watch this. It's still such an absurd, such an absurd like little foot, a little bit of football sort of history that you know we all like the bright you know the bright rivalry we're all of it we're all of a similar age certainly similar generation and you know you hear the story about oh and then he took out a handful of change and threw it on the ground and said you know you ain't worth that palace like you you hear all these little oh, i mean they're not myths but you hear like these yeah these little sort of tales of how it all sort of boiled over and that's why where the rivalry sort of comes from or where the fuel was added and and pogate's just just an even weirder one, you know, like the and to and to to see it not not, not literally see it, but to see it <laughs> sort of play out and see Holloway berating that poor stadium manager lady, <laughs> and then yeah, intercut with the other the play like Johnny Williams, obviously, and they're just everyone's just their their reactions is so funny. There's a there's just it's I think Ollie says something like I don't ex- I don't expect to see shit like that in a place like this. It's like well. <laughs> Do you mean literally? Do you, do you yeah? Because I, I love, I love that he finishes chatting her up with. Just, do you want to come and have a look? Yeah, she says. She says, if you don't mind, and I fully expected, I, I fully expected her to say no, thanks. But she's like, if if you don't, if you don't mind me seeing it, yes, 
Yes, I'll come can in. I, can I come in? <laughs> yes, if you don't mind, I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's just funny. It's and the fact that again, the weirdest bit of what's the way it's not a team talk, but the weirdest sort of little bit of inspiration that must have, you know, could only have given the players a little bit of a, but certainly gave Ollie a boost. He was raging, wasn't he? Mm. It's, yeah. it's funny, like throughout, and they mention it a few times in the in the documentary. All these little things that rile Palace up and the players up to get up for the game as if they weren't already. Like that, you know, the press conference that you mentioned, Ramage saying that they were on the coach going to the ground, and Brighton fans had like Wembley 2013 flags and t shirts and stuff, which they don't learn, do they? Because they did that a few years later when Newcastle pipped them to the title, um, which is also really funny. And then Pugate, it's just like you, any advantage that Brighton may have had in terms of like being at home just sort of went out the window because they just kept shooting themselves in the foot and Riley Palace up. And the narrative that runs through the entire documentary is what a great group of players that we had that all played for each other. And if you're stoking the fire with a group like that, then, mm. you know, you're, you're making trouble for yourself before you've even started. Mm. Well, it's still, you've get um, Holloway <laughs> is like he was there and knew exactly what happened, describes what the toilet looks like and how they've done it. Um, and saying that then they've put gloves on and they've wiped it all up the walls and all over the toilet seat and stuff like that. But obviously it's come out in subsequent years of what actually happened. Ramage re- refers to it. Um, it's Paddy McCarthy, a, a player of the year awards one year, relayed the story where either the day before or the morning of the game, the Palace coach driver and kit man drive up to set up the changing room for for the lads um coach driver is is not well at all and uh uses toilets coming out of both ends um there's no toilet paper he can't clean it <laughs> he can't clean it up can't do anything with it he has a half-hearted attempt to try and clear it up he just can't do it so he obviously just thinks oh someone will just clean it up or leave but Brighton then locked the changing room. That's all set up. Don't go in there. That's that's how Palace need it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, alas, it's had what, however long it's had to stew in there. And um, it turns out the Palace coach driver should be getting that chairman's award at some point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's yeah, ama- amazing, really. Um, that the whole series of events just got caught like that as well. And um, you have that amazing camera footage, as we say, of, of Holloway talking to the Brighton Bright staff about it. Um, but yeah, you get, you've get you mentioned the Wembley 2013 flags. Um, I, I think there was also something about the coach being sent the wrong way as well um, prior to the match, um, I seem to remember. But there was no mention of this in the documentary. Um, <clears throat> and then we get the Jednak. It's like... As they're all staying up in the tunnel when you're getting Jedinak in his interview saying that um, I've, I've won here before and, and I know what it meant to those people. And you, you can just, even as he's like remembering it several years later there, you can just see how emotional he was getting about the game. Like he's getting visibly choked up on the, on the documentary. You can see his eyes quivering a bit. You can hear his voice wobbling a little bit as he's, try, as he's trying to hold back the emotion as he talks about it. And um, yeah just an unbelievable game and it's uh non again a bit like the first game uneventful first half really and it's really in the second half where everything gets going and um 
starts with the Johnny Williams slotted it just wide. Albert, it, with hindsight, it might have been too early to take the lead then. Um, I know there was they talk about this record of Brighton haven't come from behind when they conceded the first goal to win for ages that season. But um, yeah, it might have been too early, but it would have been lovely for Johnny Williams to get that goal. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound harsh, but I think that, and I remember it at the time, that kind of that chance almost encapsulates sort of Johnny Williams's Palace career for me. Like it's a lot of promise, but never, just never, never quite, you know, hit the hit the level required. Whether that be through, you know, obviously injury didn't help, but yeah, I think there was always just there was just something something missing from his game and. And uh, like I said, I'm not not sitting here slagging off Johnny Williams because he he comes across really nice and he always gave it everything he could. But um, yeah, that would been a would have been a great moment for him. And I, do you know what? It's only again looking back at the documentary, I forget how prominent he was in that team. Mm. You know, I know that injuries came in later and and he sort of started to dwindle and vanish. But yeah, he was um, he was in that team more than I'd probably give him credit for. Yeah, well, he just his ability to carried a ball in between the lines and centre of the park was really, really important. He held possession for so long and he was, you know, like with three ball carriers in the team like Williams, Zaha and Balassi just was such an important part of the success because we could just keep the ball high up the field a lot more often and then things would happen. Um, then we get, I'll, I'll refer to it as a save part one, Heskiff, um, where Ashley Barnes gets through and flicks it past Froney. Uh doesn't really give himself that much credit, Jules, does he, when he's been hit for about just 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 sort of went Ugh. <laughs> just Jules being Jules, isn't it? Oh, it's you know, it's my job. I think he goes on to say, like, oh, when people come up to me in the street and tell me <laughs> thanks for everything, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing my job. All right, Jules, but you're brilliant. So <laughs> But yeah, that that save, I mean it's such it, it's such a great save. You know, he comes out really quick, gets a really strong hand to it, and I mean, when you watch it in real time, it happens so quickly. But my memory of it is always now in slow motion, just from the replay. Yeah. And it's it's such an important save for for when it, for the time in the match it was, and obviously we know what happens afterwards. Um, but it he was such an important player for so many years, Jules, and that save pushed us on to win the game. So it was fitting that that he had a literally a hand in us getting that win yeah I mean in the stadium I just thought Barnes had hit the bar like I had no idea he got a hand on it until after Um, yeah I think he was speaking to people at home because it's only me and my dad that game so I think it was my sister had told me like you realise Sproly saved that like when we was talking after the game it's just like no I had no idea so just yeah it's an unbelievable save and um, as a goalkeeper, it's so easy to just be like, oh, you know, it, it just hit, kind of hit me, you know, in the right place at the right time. But there's a lot of skill of being in the right place at the right time and um, getting your hand up and having those reactions. So, um, yeah, just unbelievable save. And we'll go, we'll go into the save part two in the final. <laughs> um, then we get a couple of um, bold claims of Notchadamus s proportions come in. Um, <laughs> Starts starts with Peter Ravage, who's um, telling Yannick Balassi, um, "You're going to come on and win this for us. You, you, this is this is your time and come on." And perhaps there's some element of truth in that because when Balassi's coming on, as he's being subbed on, he's already celebrating. 
it, it, his face, just his face is like, he's smiling. I know, bless, he smiles a lot, but he is like, everyone else is stressed and is tense, but he just comes on like, it, it looks like he's coming on for a stroll in the park. So maybe Rambo's really got into his head and made him believe that this is my time. Wasn't far off a stroll in the park for Balassi when he did come on. To be honest, <laughs> the way he's just breezing past people. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny, isn't it? But that fans who have um, like newer fans or fans who don't know Palace from that time um, would probably be amazed that he wasn't getting in the team regularly. You know, he was it was that whole you know he was still very raw at that point, and you know he'd become a far better player in later years, but. You know, he didn't get a load of assists. He certainly didn't get a load of goals. You know, there was, you know, end products was missing from his game a lot. But um, he wasn't missing in this game as he whips the ball to the back post. Now, um, it's funny, again, like, because you watch it so many times on TV, you just um, start to think the commentary just comes to mind so much, where it's like, Benassi's gone across to the other side to have a go at Calderon. It's just, like, stuck in my brain, you know, whenever I think about this goal. But... In this inside the stadium, Hesky, I properly remember when he beats the defender the first time, just the roar of just being like, it's the first time, other than the Williams chance. It, you know, it just felt like we were getting penned back and penned back and penned back. Dad hit the bar, Moxie had cleared one off the line, and then it just felt like all of a sudden Balassi come on and straight away he was in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he did what well, when you describe it, it seems like a pretty simple trick where he sort of like goes to cross it, stops, take a touch. Defender's just completely out of the game, completely out of the game with that touch. Perfect cross, you know, and, and there's Wilf ghosting in with a diving header. You don't see enough diving headers for a start, so I, I love a diving header. Um, but the fact that it's Wilf with a diving header in, the, like, the biggest game of his career, that you know, that that far, it was just, the, the like you say, the noise... It's one of those where you know Yala's going to do something. So when he's got the ball, you're like, right, come on, come on, come on. And then the little trick, the noise goes up. The cross, the noise goes up. And then it was just carnage. You know, I, it, it's my favourite match that I've ever been to. And mm. the celebration for both goals was insane. But I think, that yeah, the celebration when that first goal went in was such a rush of, like, euphoria and relief, I think, that we were like, fucking hell, we... We might do it. Mm. Um, I just, it's really hard to describe, but anyone who was there will know it's just impossible to forget. It was just the best, it was the best feeling ever. Now, Albert, you've got to feel sorry for Mark Bryant because he wouldn't have had experience said euphoria because he knew it was going to happen. He was just, yeah. <laughs> to the tune, oh, he probably banged some money on it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mark Bright. Mark Bright's very uh, clairvoyant throughout this documentary. He seems to know a lot about what's going to happen. Uh, it's almost <laughs> like he's looking back on it with hindsight. Um, but yeah, what a, what a, what a moment! I mean, like the fact that like Balassi checks back like once, twice, like to put that cross in. He's he's almost like back on the halfway line when he's when he <laughs> sticks that ball in. And then yeah, just Zaha coming in. I think what Wayne Bridge hadn't been that that surprised to see someone since he saw John Terry coming out of his bedroom. <laughs> and then, and then just that the, the, there's the, there's that. I don't know who's filming. I guess it's the documentary crew. There's that like it's not the TV footage of it all is the players. The documentary, yeah. Just celebrating up at the hoardings, and I mean that's just. I I was probably I don't know how far back I was. I was probably about 
15, 20 rows back. So I, was, I remember being above, I, was, I was definitely could see over the goal. But yeah, just fucking, and I was, I'd, I'd gone on my own single ticket, but it's just, you know, it's one of those where you're just hugging the eight people around you. No idea who they are. Thought of doing that in a pandemic. That's a nightmare. But um <laughs> but yeah, just 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 absolute lunacy. And and it <laughs> and it again it it feels weird saying it, but it, it it does it didn't stop there. Uh if that had been it, if we'd if we'd have won that one nil, you know, we, we scored fairly late on with the first goal, you know, if that had if that had played out, it would have been just as good. But the fact that there was like the the, the second goal that absolutely seals it is just, you know, you, know you, you think you, you think you couldn't celebrate anymore <laughs> and then a few minutes later you, you, <laughs> you're there again yeah just yeah incredible absolutely incredible scenes and it is the, the absolute topping off of Zaha's second goal where you see you get some great footage in it of just seeing his face in super slow-mo just how shocked he is just like that you know we're going to Wembley and um probably the most famous of Crystal Palace goals certainly in the last 20 years um as he smashes it in off the underside of the bar and the you know I've never I've never since I probably never will be again in a way and like it it was just it was magical and Damo refers to it as he's running up, like seeing all the fans like walking out. And um, there is that classic clip, Heskiff, of um, them streaming out on Sky, and all you can hear is Palace fans singing K Sarah Sarah. And I'd walk, I would have walked out as well if it was the <laughs> other way around at Celeste. Um, so just, and it's just that sums it all up of that, you know getting beat by your rivals in your backyard and they're literally singing about going to Wembley in, yeah, in, in, in your brand new stadium. It's like Everything that you've said there has just made it, makes it even better. Um, that second Zaha goal is my favourite goal ever. I, I think the first time I was on, I was on back of the nest, you asked me what my favourite goal was and it, it, it hasn't changed. I don't think it ever will until we win the FA Cup yeah. or the, or the Champions League, one of them. Um, <laughs> Either would yeah, be fine. Yeah, whichever. National, National League South. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the quote from Damo was something like, you know, the ultimate satisfaction you can get as a player is seeing 35 or 30,000 Brighton fans leaving the stadium. And Chelsea fans. And Chelsea Very fans. good point. Um, you know, Jules going down on his knees, celebrating at the end as well. Just everything that we remember, like you've seen the pictures and the footage so many times, but seen the painting as well and the painting which i think is available to buy little mm. plug maybe um but like seeing everything put together in this documentary after you've had all the build up for, from the rest of the episode is just like uh, unbelievable unbelievable and like you i don't think i don't think i will be in an atmosphere as as loud and crazy as that because it was i mean it's just untouchable there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, and then comes what's the best part of the documentary for me. And and they just obviously ask the question of everyone, what are your memory? What was your overriding memory of that night? And to a man, all of them just talk about how clearly how it's the best night of their football, their footballing career. And it's just they just run them off one after the other. It's just like four, five, six word answers, just one after the other. Like, and by the time it gets to Damo, he's like, "Oh man, it's just special, just special, man." Like, I'm just I'm in tears every time I'm watching it. Just absolutely, just st- stunning part of the documentary and. Um, yeah, I think uh, just after after the three years before with nearly going out of business, having the whole Sheffield Wednesday thing, to then be able to have those sorts of scenes at the right end of the table, it just um, yeah, what 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 a turnaround and what scenes afterwards on the pitch, it was just you know, absolutely beautiful. Then we move into part five, the final part of the documentary, "Standing on the Edge of Greatness." It's titled. Um, Ian Holloway metamorphosized into someone else, according to Steve Parrish Albert. Um, and you get the sense in the players that that two weeks leading up to the playoff final, that he really got them in their, in their heads in the right space. Yeah. And I, again, just don't remember it being two weeks. I mean, that seems mad. The fact that the, the, the two, the two semi-final playoff games are like, what, three days apart. And then you have to wait two weeks to go and play the final. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it, it, I found that quite fascinating, actually, you know, talking about how it's the Scott guy at the train goes, like, yeah, you know, they train for, train for a bit, but they're not trained. And then, you know, but the, just the, the, the mental stress on those players to, to think about the final, but be told, don't think about it and do everything to try and take your mind off it, where they, again, they talk about how, Parish said, "Oh, should they go on holiday?" And another classic Bristolian accent impression comes out. And it's like, "No, don't send them on holiday because that'll be it." And go and say it once you feel the sand between your toes. Once you feel the sand between your toes, <laughs> you know you're at scout camp. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, well, that's same we had when I got up. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, just the, the fact that they, they they then go and do a tour of Wembley, like is it? They say it's just after the Champions League final mm-hmm. when they're redressing it for for the playoff final. Just what a what a weird what a weird headspace that must be for a for a football player to be like. Oh, I got to wait two weeks before we play. You know what is quite rightfully often called the biggest game in football. Um, yeah, that was that must, that must have been tough. Yeah, I mean, you, you just got to think that Zola did, doesn't did not have the experience that Holloway had. Holloway had been to that final on um, two occasions in the last three years, so he he knew all about it. Players talking about just things you don't even think about getting all their tickets sorted, like making sure like their family knew how to get there, and like so they just took away all. It sounds like they took away all the stress from the players and um, really really helped them out. Got them in there the day before to get over the awe of being at Wembley because you don't, most of these players 
never played there before Damo saying I've only ever been there for a U2 concert before that was um I mean yeah can't can't get great footballer can't count for his taste in music <laughs> but um sorry if you like U2 I'm sure there's On some U2 the fans edge listening. of glory <laughs> isn't that a Lady Gaga song probably she's probably played Wembley Stadium as well isn't she <laughs> almost definitely um I've, I'm been backstage at one of our concerts at the O2. Oh, I wondered why you brought her That's up. The shittest brag ever. It's the shittest brag. <laughs> no, actually, the shittest brag is that I've been backstage at a Britney Spears concert at the O2. That's the shittest brag ever. So, um... anyway, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> unfortunately, not. No good ones. <laughs> Peter Ramage. Um, it, 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 it's you can see. He's, He's very happy about it all that we obviously that we go up and everything goes well. But um, he talks here about knowing he's not playing. He get he gets dropped after that Ipswich game, doesn't he? When um, he had he had a bit of a mare, to be honest. And we lose three nil in the towards the end of that run at the back end of the season. And it's Danny Gabadon's coming at this point, and um, it's quite it's quite sad watching him say, "I know I know I'm not going to play. In, I know I'm not going to play in the final. I know Gabs has been brilliant." Um, but he's just there to support the team, ask if and say, you know, I obviously got to make sure everyone's prepped in the right way so we can win. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I think why we all love Rambo as a bloke as well as as a player. He he does he, he seems genuine when he tells all these stories, you know. And and I think Parish at the end of the episode says, you know, after we'd won the game, Rambo said, I know I'm not going to ever play for this club in the Premier League, but I'm just glad that I was here for this, which is heartbreaking, but also a measure of what a like great bloke he is, you know? And I think he, he, he seemed to be pretty aware that his form had, had not been great and, and Gabadon had come in and done well. And he was there, like you said, to be a, to be a supporter, to be a sort of cheerleader for the team. And you see him and Damo in that famous bit that we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure after the game. And, you know, what an important player he was in the squad, whether he's playing or not. Do you think after he said that to Parrish, he sort of left a pause to give, <laughs> to give yeah. I'm, listen, I know I'm not going to play in the Premier League. Uh, Parrish said, um, okay, okay. <laughs> no, 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 you ain't going to listen. I know I'm not going to play, but you know. yeah, yeah, you're not going to play. Oh, all right. I was, I was glad I was here. See you later. Bless him. <laughs> As for the day at Wembley for the fans, I mean, pub pub times. I mean, that there's referred to a few times. I peep. I think Mark Steele was talking about it. Kevin Day talking about what time they get to the pub. Um, Albert, what what time are you down there, local lad? <laughs> no, I was still I was still living in Tulse Hill at the time. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah. Although I have to say, I have got uh, I get the. Uh, the FA Cup final day and the playoff final day sort of mixed up. And I was definitely, I was definitely in the green man for both of them. I'm fairly sure, but I can't remember which one was which, cause I was pretty pissed uh, on, <laughs> both, on both occasions. Uh, but yeah, we, yeah, I would have been there at some point. I just can't remember to what extent, not, not ridiculously early, but uh, early enough to, um, get, I, the thing is, I don't like getting on a certainly a game like that. I can't, I can't have too many beers beforehand because 
just uh, it only adds to the uh, fraught nature of <laughs> realizing, oh, yeah, we've actually got to go and watch what is going to be quite a stressful 90 minutes of football now. And it can go too much the other way for me. Yeah, yeah I, don't- I, I was just going to say, I'm the same. Like, I definitely had a couple of drinks beforehand. Back then, I wasn't really a big drinker, but I got absolutely fucking smashed afterwards. So. I remember oh, afterwards, of course. Yeah, but I think I think I had two or three pints leading up to it. But like Albert was like, I, I actually want to remember this because if it if it ends up being good, and I can't remember anything, that would be a bit rubbish. So um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have as much. Yeah, I've got, um, there's a bit with Amy Latter on there saying she felt physically sick on the on the train up. Um, which might have had something to do with me because I've walked into her on the train and it's not been too long since we've done the crystal was dancing together and um, I had a bottle of champagne. So I was sharing a bottle of champagne with her on the train. So it's probably my fault she felt physically sick. I was going to say, you you bumped into her physically so hard that it brought about (laughs) nausea. I was like, fucking hell, (laughs) concussed. (laughs) No, no. Uh, you get some... Brilliant footage from outside the stadium as well. Most notably, Eddie McGoldrick getting mobbed by Palace fans, who most of them seem too young to even know who he is. They clearly don't know that that's Eddie McGoldrick. Yeah, they've just seen a bloke with a camera, and they're just going to yeah. get it. <laughs> and there's a great bit where it goes, it's, it goes on a bit too long, and you can see he's almost looking as if like, wash the wash the jacket, wash the jacket. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not. He, he wants to look like he's involved and have a laugh, but he's also not happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> what's that song you're singing yeah it's like i can't remember the child but he's a bit like <laughs> just eddie mcgoldrick disappeared off the face of the earth though after this you know he was obviously in and around the club a lot at this point uh where's he gone what happened? i didn't realize he was around the club at all let alone noticed him leave <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm assuming maybe he got a coaching role or something because I'm assuming he... I, I, see, I think he used to do the, you know, like the tours or whatever that Darren Ambrose does. I think he was one of those, like, appear in a box with a mango coolie. Hmm. And he was obviously around a fair bit because the documentary team latched onto him. And then he disappeared. Uh, okay, so here you go. So in 2014, he became the Foundation Academy head coach. So... I'm assuming when he went and got sacked and then that was the end of that, I guess, or left. Mm. Although Wikipedia says 2014 to date, so he's still the um, Foundation Academy head coach. And I, I don't think that rings true in my mind. No. <laughs> I haven't heard, heard him mentioned for a long time. Uh, Either that or he's, he actually ended up getting arrested after that footage because it did turn into a massive brawl with those 12 lads <laughs> that mobbed him on camera. Yeah. So last last bit on that, I was thinking, and um, there's a little clip of Kevin Day talking about it, saying you um, you do have to take a moment when you get into Wembley um, and you, you see all the colour of your fans and stuff like that. And uh, Mark still makes the joke about balloons, uh, only being excited about balloons when you're three years old or 50 years old at Wembley. But um, and it is true. It is true. You do get you do get in there and you just yeah. Yeah, up into a couple of years before, or the, you know, the beginning of that season, you're used to fourteen thousand people rattling around. Sellers is about as red and blue as it gets, and then you end up in Wembley, and there's thirty-four, thirty-five thousand Palace fans, and it's yeah, it really had, had either of you been to Wembley before that? Oh yeah, because yeah. I'd, I'd I'd made a, a solemn vow that I'd never go 
unless Palace got there. So I'd never actually been. But like, but I've been to been to gigs at like Wembley Arena and like been around the stadium. But I'd never, I'd never set foot in the ground. And yeah, I get what Kevin Day saying. It is, it is. Um, and again, even even when we went back for the you know the cup semi final and the final, like it is. Yeah, it's like it is sort of a bit overpowering when you walk in there and you're like, oh, this is uh, all right. It's probably a bit too big to do it every week. You know, like we like Sellers because of its character and how close we all are to the action and it's got its own little charms. But when it's a glorious sunny day and it's a, you know, a special footballing occasion, there really is probably no better place to be. Yeah, I would, um, I'd take it away for the semis in the FA Cup still. But um... oh, yeah, completely agree. But no, but I was there. I went, yeah, I went ninety six, ninety seven, both both playoff finals. Oh, um, so yeah, but I'm sorry, I, I specifically meant New Wembley. Oh right, okay. Oh no, well yeah, no, I had been. I'd been to England games, so right. Yeah, that was my first time at New Wembley. Yeah, I'd been to the, I'd been to the old Wembley for the yeah. playoffs. Yeah, that was my first one. Is it is an impressive stadium? I spent most of my time getting really wrapped up in nerves, so I don't really remember too much of it. Beyond, we're going to fucking lose, aren't we? Which is what. <laughs> um, but then there's obviously this is the part of the documentary when they're paying loads of tributes to the fans and stuff, and you get a lovely quote from um, Mila Yednak saying, "Palace beat everyone in the stands at Wembley." That's that's a fact. Um, that's not true. Mill will beat themselves. <laughs> oh, I won't get. I was at I was at a Millwall Barnsley playoff final, and um, I saw Millwall try and. Um, beat Barnsley fans but end up losing that's a story for another day um, right then we're on the pitch we're on the pitch the game's about to start great footage of the national anthem being sung by some unknown lady and then you get a brilliant shot just as it's finishing of Zaha and Garvin side by side and Zaha's like applauding enthusiastically and Garvin just looks like get me the fuck out of here <laughs> I'm not singing along to that shit <laughs> my favourite bit is there's a shot of <laughs> And I really like him, but there's a shot of Gianfranco Zola, who's just looking like, looks <laughs> like such a just a grinning idiot. He's just like staring off into the distance. It's like he looks. It's like he's proper checked out for the afternoon. <laughs> well, it's just it's nice though that even a player, you know, a manager who had a playing career of his stature. Uh, can still take in the moment, you know, and it's just, you know, it was even for him, like he's on the he's on the TV in front of millions, just pulling the stupidest face as he's just like a child in a sweet shop, you know. Cause it's even though it's, that little kid had said his team was shit. They're <laughs> <laughs> crap. Udinese B, as we were all referring to him at the time, if you remember, having all the lone players from Udinese. But then this is, I mean, <clears throat> I've heard this referred to, I'll put this on, I've heard it referred to, the amount of music playing through the whole documentary, basically, it's just constantly on the loop. And now it really, this music really gets going. <laughs> You've got, uh, I'm going to stop that, I can't even take it seriously. Um, it's montage central, it just becomes a montage now of the final um Loads of blocks, loads of tackles. You're sort of like, they're trying to get a clip of every player going on. And then um, you get the brief pause with KG getting injured. Um, felt like a massive moment inside the inside the stadium. But at the time, you know, they refer to it a lot. Jednak and KG were like seamless in the middle there, really understood each other's games. And it was a big thing. And 
But on the day, Heskiff just being, I remember being so shocked it was O'Keefe that came on. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, at the time, I was really worried because I thought KG was brilliant that season. He doesn't get talked of as much, I think, just because Jedi was amazing. Mm. Um, but when he went down, it was maybe not as big a shock as Murray going down in semi, but still, I was I was worried. And like you say, when, when O'Keefe came on, I, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't think he'd 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 be the one to come on. But fairness to him, he he was really good and could he he could have scored as well. He had a, a really good chance to score, didn't he? But I did like that. One of the first things he does is actually lever a Watford player, <laughs> and then uh, there's a bit which they didn't show in the documentary where Abdi's on the floor and he just basically boots a ball at him, which is pings it just off his head, yeah, just <laughs> absolutely inch perfect ping. Yeah, kind of a bit of a cult hero, basically, in that, around that period, didn't he? For um, yeah, but it, yeah, it, was, it would have been amazing that as Wilbraham went, we say went on and had loads of chances. If Wilbraham or O'Keefe would have been the one to score the winning goal on the day, it would have been quite unusual. But um, yeah, then um, get to half time again. Not not much of a, a non-event of a first half again, really. Um, probably the weather played into it. Extremely hot day, yeah, but. Um, get into the second half and then it's Jednak and I do distinctly remember him rolling his ankle on the side of the pitch and then hobbling around and for that few minutes Albert where you thought well if he goes off as well <laughs> what's going to happen now because even with the one leg as he refers to it I was on one leg he goes on and has an amazing second half and extra time yeah I mean I know uh I know things are, are edited to, to you know to drill home narratives they want to tell, but like Mila Yedinak, we all we all know what a fant- I mean his first sort of season sort of impressed, but didn't you know didn't blow me away. But the way he just turned into this absolute hero in the middle of the park, and you know, and again we, we can't skip on too much, but it it gets even better once we actually start playing in the prem, you know, and. And again, he's it's, an, it's another it's another player whose Palace career came to an end too soon, probably, and, and probably should be at the club in some sort of background role. But the way uh, the way that he carries himself for that the second half of that that playoff final, whilst struggling with a you know a rolled ankle, um, which you know I've got weak ankles, I know what that's like. Um, like yeah, just he- hero, what a, what a man! Just five episodes of you know I, I know I sort of ribbed you guys in the last episode for <laughs> you know getting your melee lob on but um <laughs> I th- I th- I, maybe it's a, bit, it's a bit too hot today but when it cools down a little bit i could probably join you <laughs> yeah I, I mean this is this section's for you now heskiff i'm just the chance to be pessimistic wilbraham miss after miss after miss o'keefe misses um all the misses, all of the misses. And Garvin. Garvin, a couple, Jednak, then um, Header with the literally the last touch of the game, heads it to what I guess Almunia's save is technically the last touch. Um, and I just remember the conversations at the full-time whistle being like, we've blown it. There's no, there's, we've had so many chances, we haven't found a winner. It's, it's not going to be our day. Yeah, that's exactly what, I was stood with my mate Miserable Dave for the game and we had, like you say, we just had so many chances. We had good chances as well. It wasn't sort of like scuffed shots or sort of 
maybe there was, you know, a chance after a chance for, for Wilbraham. He just said, just, just put one away and you're an instant, like the ultimate hero. Um, but it's Palace and we, you know, we don't do things easily. And, and yeah, at full time, I just thought you can just tell this is going to be one of those games where Watford go up the other end and score even though they've done bugger all during the game. Because I, I really don't remember them being that good in the game. I, I think we were much a better team. Um, and, of course, you get Jules's unbelievable save, which they talk about. And, and I mean, it, we we all know how good Jules is, but it's, I can't remember who said it, but his sort of change of weight where he's going one way, changes to go the other and gets that strong hand to, to sort of like palm the ball away. At that moment, just the split second before he made the save, that's the point where I was like, "This is it. This is where we're gonna we're gonna lose it." Um, but Jules came up trumps as he did so often, um, and we sort of pushed on from there, much like his save uh, in the semi final. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those saves. This, just watching it again on the documentary just gets better and better with every watch. Like when you actually start to see how ridiculous he's. How much he's going in one direction, you know, just the fact that he has to get so much push out of his legs that that he's that his feet don't even give way in the pitch, that he doesn't slip or things like that, just to be able to get back across. Like it's he's so far away from that ball, it's yeah. it's mad. Like there's that when when you because again, obviously they show it in slow motion. The point where yeah, he's the furthest away from the ball, even though I know, even though I know what's going to happen. Again, you're like. How does he how, not tap how, it in? How, how does he do that? <laughs> Come on, Troy. How, how does how does Peroni get back over there to do that? It's it's fucking mental. It's, and it's probably it's probably the best save I've ever seen. Big praise indeed, and one of the most important saves that any Palace goalkeeper has ever made in the history of the club. To, to be honest, um, because it's not long not long after that the magic moment comes, and it's Zaha and you know Holloway again. So it talks about getting a fullback, getting a fullback, get a cassetti, get a cassetti, because, you know, he's 37 years old at this point. Um, he'd already struggled in the um, playoff semi-final a couple of weeks before against Knockart, who even bit a dubious penalty of one against him. Um, and it pays off. It take, takes a while. It takes 114 and a half minutes, but it finally pays off for um, Holloway as he gets him one and one finally in the penalty area. And just leading up to it, they show this whole montage again of all the time Zaha's been taking him on in the game. And, I mean, how he doesn't get booked is ludicrous, really, but into the penalty. But um, Watford fans, Albert, <laughs> mm. um, they... Is it the celebration of the penalty that they hated more for than actually when they come out and suggested it? It's a dive because it's a stonewall penalty. It's absolutely a penalty. Absolutely a penalty. Um, I mean, I'd, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's always a bit of me that thinks, don't like, again, and it's, it happens in the, the Peterborough game, you know, like we win a penalty and everyone's celebrating like it's a goal, which is. It's always risky business, you know. Uh, celebrating a goal at Palace is risky business because you're not that far away from getting bitten on the arse. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd, listen, he's a he's a passionate lad. He's it, again. You, you said it was 
his last game at Sellers, first leg. This was this was probably definitely his last game as far as he was concerned. Five minutes from the end of extra time in again the biggest, most valuable game in football. He's won a penalty that he knows if whoever takes it, if they score it, it's probably highly likely to be game over, and that's the game won. So, I'd I'd like to, I'd like to see I'd like to see Troy Deeney not at least celebrate it a little bit if he won if 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 the shoe was on the other foot. Like, mm. where's we know? I can't say this too loud because they might be listening through the walls. They are a weird bunch. <laughs> um, but in those, and they show a little another montage of Wilf later. But Heskiff, he's he's lost some of the elements of their game. I do. I remember someone else said it in the documentary. I remember at the time you did just used to laugh a lot. I think it was Mark Steele was saying you just used to laugh with what he would do to players. He'd take absolute liberties with them. But it's that de- it's definitely something that's gone from his game to an extent. He's not. He's not as. Um, Free flowing as he once was in in terms of bringing out the skills. Do you think it's just better standard of opposition in the Premier League, and it's just you can't do it, or you just think he's become a bit more pragmatic with older age? Yeah, I think it's a obviously a bit <laughs> bit of the quality being better, but I think as he sort of wanted to be considered more as a striker, he's picking his moments. He's rather than sort of like doing a bunch of wizardry on the wing and getting past people, he's sort of trying to get a shot off and and maybe. That sort of loses his, like you say, sort of raw, just let's have some fun and, mm. you know, take these people on and make them look silly. And it is really fun watching all the highlights from that season of him and and to a certain extent Yala as well, just absolutely rinsing people. And, and the montage you, you mentioned there of when he was just taking the piss out of the Watford defender again and again and again, it, you, you remember we started singing the he's too good for you thing, but he really was too good for that division. I mean, he was absolutely unplayable, wasn't he? Mm. And and it was fitting that, that he had such a big part to play in, in us winning the final, you know, obviously he, he taken us to the, to the final with, with those goals against Brighton. Um, but winning the penalty, celebrating that, you know, I don't celebrate when we win a penalty because I genuinely think we're never going to score them. But, Absolutely understand why Wilf did. Like Albert said, he's a really passionate kid. I mean, he, st- he still is. Um, and he, you know, it was a celebration of, of his sort of getting his, his just rewards, really. Mm. And it's Kevin Phillips who steps out to take the penalty. Man, big man like Kevin Phillips, as Belassi refers to him. Um, I, mem- I remember us all turning to each other, who's going to take it? And then all of us just be like, Kevin Phillips, obviously, it was you know absolutely one of the best players to have, and um, but he overcooks it. He says he, it didn't go quite where he expected it to go out, but I mean, he, so even someone of his old why the age of the, the age of forty was there or thirty nine, nearly forty, um, overcooks it a little bit, but flies into the top corner and writes himself into Palace folklore. Yeah, what does he say? He says something like, "To be honest, I didn't know where it was going to go when I <laughs> hit it." It's like what. Uh, he um, says, I, "I didn't expect it to go where it went." I think that's he right. Says. Yeah, he's like, um, "Excuse me, you're meant to be the expert." <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, you know, there's a nice moment where he, you know he he talks about is it both his parents that he talks about that he lost yeah. fairly young, or it certainly is one of them. But there's a there's a there's a sh- there's a short bit before he says, "Oh, when I when I stepped up, I just went into this zone 
and it all slows down whilst he's like walking around. Is he at St George's Park or whatever? Yeah. And it's like, hang on a minute. What? What's, I thought it was going to. We're going to go into a real like genre, mind bending like <laughs> acid trip. I'm in the zone, man. And then it was going to cut back and see it, but they kind of bottled out in the edit. Um, but yeah, just and I like I, I like the I like the sort of um, you only really get it in 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 big games or international tournaments. You know, there's the the wire cam that's like. Just over, just over his head. You get a really good look at that penalty and how he sort of leathers it. And yeah, they talk. I, the other thing I found weird, they talk about how, how Al Mooney has got a favourite side to go to in a penalty, and it's like, isn't it meant to be the taker that's got a favourite side? And the, the goalkeeper is meant to try and guess where that is, like, <laughs> or do research to find out where the person taking it might put it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a fantastic pen, but it's not. Uh, you know, Al Mooney is not a million miles away from it. But um, it also, celebrations are great. It also dived the opposite way to the to that way in the semi final against Leicester yeah. to save the penalty from knockout. So um, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know where Jules is going. To be honest with that, um, yeah, could have could have trimmed could have trimmed thirty seconds off the documentary there. We'll let him off. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of those Mark Bright clairvoyancy moments. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it all erupts as it did at the time and. If I wasn't crying before, in episode five and episode four, I was, I was definitely in a in a few. Uh, I definitely had a couple of tears rolling down the cheek that the wife noticed and put a comforting hand on my um, knee. Um, yeah, just it's great. Just brings it all back. Yeah, and it was a beautiful moment as well because being so close to half time that it just that buzz flew into like Fat Palace fans singing basically halfway through the. the um, the half half time break in extra time before it, you, you just know. And they were referring to the documentary. You knew it was going to be a fifteen minutes back against the wall kind of scenario. And they have um, they give it a good old go, Watford, and it sort of culminates with Forestieri's chance being cleared off the line by what does Delaney call it? Um, Ward, Ward's big fat head. Ward, <laughs> his big fat head. Technical term. Really clears up the line. They refer it to it as the 120 million he- header, 120 million pound header in the end, in ending credits. But um, and then immediately after, you get that Deeney flick off his shoulder, which mm. drops just wide where I I think my stomach fell out of my arsehole <laughs> inside the stadium. Every time I see the replay of that, the Deeney one, part of me is like shit. It's in, even though it's been eight years. I know it didn't go in. Just seeing the replay because. The one that I always remember is the Forestieri one, and I always forget about the Deeney one that just sort of squirms wide. Yeah, every time I see it, I get that split-second feeling, oh, shit. And then, of course, I've got, you know, the game ends, a couple of corners, Al Mooney is up there, sorting his hair out between every corner. Um... Yeah, priorities. <laughs> priorities. But, He's got um... a favourite direction for his hair to go in as well. <laughs> But we 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 obviously hold on, you know, and you get like the just the post match scenes are amazing. Zaha absolutely sprinting down to the other end, down the sideline. You've got Kevin Phillips laying on the pitch crying. It's just um, yeah, just an incredible moment in the in the history of the club. And my my time have been supporting Palace, and it was just um, it's so nice that we've had this whole documentary series put down um, on on tape to be able to go back and as long as you've got your prime subscription, relive those memories whenever you want, you know, because um, it's brilliant. And then you've got the tro- the trophy, the whole trophy. I mean, there's there's so much about this. Just 
one self-contained, you know, few minute period of lifting the trophy. First of all, it's one of the biggest disgraces that's ever happened in the history of football, that when we lift the trophy, the whole 38,000 Palace fans in attendance are about to sing the biggest we love you we've ever done, only for the Wembley PA system to fucking bang out Florence and the Machine and absolutely kill the moment. Have you been backstage at one of her gigs? <laughs> went to my school. I, can, I, can, I can see where this is going. <laughs> I have not been backstage at Floyd's Machine gig and I would fucking, even though she wasn't there and it's not her fault that they did it, I'd tell her about it if I ever met her. But no, it just ruined it, just absolutely killed it because then the, the fanatics started it, but it just got drowned out and it didn't travel around and not everyone was looking at the fanatics because it was they were obviously looking up where the trophy was being picked so no one was, people stopped following it and it just, yeah, um, slight, slight downer on obviously it was an amazing day and then that leads to the Peter Ramage and the Damien Delaney moment at the end of the stairs sat down um, and you can see Damo getting emotional as he thinks about it. They zoom in on the tattoo on his arm for the date. And um, I think it's, I, I don't think Peter Ramage is being full of himself when he says it's one of the most iconic images of the season because um, it, I mean, it really is. And it sort of has encapsulated the whole team spirit that, that, that squad of players had. Yeah, it did. I mean, I, I remember seeing it at the time when they put it on the screen and it like we were all emotional obviously after after the after the result after the game had finished but yeah that I mean that brought tears to my eyes at the time for sure and and watching it again even though I've seen it so many times it it still gets to me because yeah I think I think Rambo says in the documentary that we we were just a a group of wrong-uns and we were out to prove everyone wrong and it is you know, it's true. These are players, Rambo and Damo, especially who are basically told, you know, you're not you're not good enough for this club. You're not going to do it at this club. Sort of misfits and rejects, and and they came together. And I think Rambo said Damo mentioned, "Oh, this isn't supposed to happen to people like me." And it's just that feeling that all the hard work they went through, all of the downs that they've had in their career up until that point, culminated in what is an iconic moment because they, they were both pivotal in us getting to that, to that point and, and going up and, you know, they were such good friends that it was a real, it was a personal moment for them, but it felt like it was a personal moment for all palace fans watching it. Cause you felt like they, they were you and you were them, if you know what I mean. Um, so just talking about it now is, you know, it gets, gets me a bit emotional and, and getting the goosebumps. So, it was a it was a perfect a perfect image to to finish finish the day on I think. Wow, that was that was really nice the way you put that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. Um, we then get into sort of end the ending credits to sort of like what they've done now, you know, all, all of that business. Um, yeah, Holloway talking about being proud of his achievement, but you know, how, how do Palace fans treat you when you see him now? <laughs> Thank you for leaving all that business. <laughs> um, great one on the Dougie Friedman, Albert. You get um, Dougie re- returned home <laughs> in in 2017. <laughs> uh, but he was he talks about being delighted. Obviously, he's asked the question, "How did you feel?" And it's probably um, a sort of similar question to you know. Uh, I was watching uh, 
Frank Lampard the other day on the on Euros coverage. They were saying, how do you feel about Chelsea winning the Champions League this season? Is it bittersweet? But, um, you know, Freeman's like, no, it wasn't at all. Like, my kids are Palace fans. You know, it was obviously a great day for us to, to win it. And, um, yeah, and then you get the bit where you, the jigsaw theme is running all the way throughout and you've got the jigsaw being put together and um, Ramage refers to the rotten jigsaw being found and being put together and it's... it's Albert loose, loose at best, tenuous. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't just keep it nice until the end, could you? <laughs> I, I, I've given it way too much praise this documentary, so I've got, I've got to have a little needle. <laughs> uh, no, I like the, I like the jigsaw motif. I mean, whether the younger viewers know what the fuck a jigsaw puzzle is, I don't know. <laughs> But it's, um, it's what people like us had before Fortnite. Yeah, uh, no, it's it, it's it is it, whether whether they need to ram home the jigsaw theme so much is up for debate. Um, you've clearly made your mind up, Terence. But <laughs> it is it, you know it was it was a, a team, a squad. You know, even way up to the board, it's, it was all a bit cobbled together. You know, the board only came about due to sort of unfortunate circumstances and reluctantly all four of them agreed to save the club, rescue the club, reinvest in the club, if you want to put it, you know, the, the players that we could cobble together, again, misfits, free agents, people that had been, you know, rejected from this club, that club, you know, kids that we plucked out the academy, you know, chuck a few of them in for good measure. Um, it was a, it was a bit of a, a, a merry bunch and, um, you know, you talk about Joe Ward's big Ed off the line and Moxie off the line and all the blocks and all the, you know, people really did put put their bodies on the line and it was just it was it was it was a, it was it was grit and determination more than you know at our, at our best in that season we were you know we were shit hot you know we were we were really really good and genuinely playing some fantastic football but the end of the season and the playoffs it was it was sheer grit and determination and the the will to just throw everything at it that's you know that's what won us those playoffs we didn't we didn't we we were yeah we were marginally better than Watford but that game could have easily have gone the other way you know it was it was literally that that steely determination and and bodies on the line that 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 got us there really um And as Palace fans, that feels more normal to us than the, the sparkling football we were playing earlier in the season when we were tearing teams apart. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's just sort of, that brings it to an end. And um, Save up some Coldplay. <laughs> I mean, we've we've talked enough about how much we've loved this documentary and how brilliant it was. So thank, thank you for everyone who worked on it and pulled it together. Um and eventually got it out there eight years after the fact or whatever. But um, yeah, out, out, outstanding documentary that um, brought back a lot of emotion for a lot of us and uh, really, really captures that season well. And um, yeah, re- really, really delighted that um, we got to share our thoughts with you as well. And thank you for for listening to us. Uh, three old guys ramble on about um, <laughs> memories long past. Uh, two old, Two old guys. Two old guys. <laughs> um, and will there be a third part of this? Potentially, we might we might get 
some guests and talk. Um, we might not. It depends if we we can we can secure any. No one really wants to talk to us, do they? That's the problem. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks for taking part, guys, and um, sharing your memories with me and the listeners. And um, we're off now into next season, so we'll be back as usual with a preview podcast from the start of next season. Um, when hopefully we'll have a manager in place. <laughs> Until then, guys, thanks for listening. <laughs> We was a rotten jigsaw. Fucking going Wembley, mate. We've got him, Steve. Yeah, that's good. Something about Eddie McGoldrick. (laughs) (laughs) It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.